into Friday afternoon, just in time for Marshy Movie Time. This is what we always do at about this time. James Marsh joining you on Facebook Live. How are you? Digging deep, baby. How's it going today? Uh, yeah, very well. Yes, we are scraping the bottom of the barrel looking for something, anything no, new James, in the cinemas. Cinemas have been closed. Cinemas have been closed for so long now that just the... Uh, uh, there's just there's so little quality offerings available that we haven't already covered. That's not to say there isn't a lot. There's a lot of stuff out there, but we have covered so much of it already that um, doesn't matter. Now, the paradigm. Yeah, the, now some, the paradigm happened. The new normal is um, basically online. Netflix, blah. And there is some good stuff. Yeah, there, there is some rubbish. <laughs> yeah, I'm having to sort of venture outside of my wheelhouse a little bit. So a lot more TV series long-form dramas than i would normally be uh, comfortable talking about but like you say we have to adapt we have well this is interesting because um i'm really love to have you join us on facebook live and i got a very candid shot of james at work on my morning brew page it's there if you want to see him doing it doing his it's thing. so disturbing <laughs> i don't know i don't know what's more disturbing the the final image or the fact that you spend your private time creating these pictures of, of how you envisage me at home doing my work yeah i must say you you actually won all you got me there let's get into it shall we <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay uh so let where should we let's start with bridgerton yeah because everybody they, uh, was talking about that last week it was a listener request listener request to have i seen bridgerton i hadn't i've now watched the first two episodes yeah. of it uh this is the uh shonda rhymes produced adaptation of julia quinn's series of novels shonda rhymes obviously huge sort of mogul in the american tv landscape most famous for creating shows like gray's anatomy and scandal and that kind of thing um and the julia quinn series of novels are sort of british regency era set uh bodice rippers essentially uh mills and boone-esque m plus um, though plus it, though because the design is very funky i think it's meant to be yeah well this i mean this is what sets it apart from your typical sort of jane austen adaptation is that this this is Regents England, as envisaged by sort of very pulpy, mainstream, soap opera-esque American producers and creators. Um, you know, so this isn't going for authenticity so much as it's going for um, modern-day contemporary uh, thrills, albeit constricted into a, uh, an, a, a tight-fitting corset, shall we say. Um, I'd hazard a guess, and I'm not starting a fight with you, but I'd hazard a guess they have gone to town on the authenticity of the things you see, albeit the colour schemes and everything, of the clothes, etc., very different. I reckon, because when you say that, you think of some cheesy American period piece, and you're like, they didn't sound like that. These guys are a few levels above mm. that, aren't they? Well, I, it seems to me that there is a deliberate attempt uh, at, at, at anachronism. There is a lot of anachronism in it. Uh, certainly in the, the style, the execution of the material feels very deliberately modern, deliberately contemporary. Yeah. Um, in, you know, if you look at like the colour schemes and the uh, compos shot composition, you know, you've got lots of sort of fast zooms and uh, sort of uh, whizzing crane shots and 
fast editing that you would not normally see in a stately merchant ivory style period drama that does its best to maintain a kind of slower paced pace more in keeping with sort of the literary source material of like your jane austens or your tom hardy's or whatever um here it's definitely trying to maintain the energy and the pace of something more like shonda rhimes's other contemporary works and i and it's very deliberate but it does um end up as being something very sort of anachronistic. Uh, also in Julia Quinn's writing, the characters, uh, many of whom are sort of young, single female characters who are from good breeding, but are not in control of their own uh, destinies and, and, and what have you, um, behave in a far sort of behave more as a modern contemporary 21st century woman might, or at least voices those kind of thoughts and opinions, unlike uh you know your your emily brontes or your uh what are the what are the sisters called in the uh, the bennett sisters from pride and prejudice or what have you so it is i wouldn't even call it a delicate balance it's a very deliberate um division of these two worlds for the benefit of a modern audience but uh, that does not mean that does not really take away from the material all it means is you've got to approach this uh in a different way to the way that you would go and watch yeah, yeah, sort yeah, of Ang yeah, Lee's yeah, Sense yeah. and Sensibility or maybe Howard's it, End or something like that. Maybe it's time. I think, I mean, I've seen this myself. Usually I can't watch the stuff that you review. But mm -hmm. it doesn't feel too cheesy. It doesn't feel too manipulated. I mean, it, it isn't. It, how do I put it? It's a nice answer to Merchant Ivory. How's that? Uh, it's certainly very entertaining, very accessible. I mean, the other obviously big anachronistic element of it that we should acknowledge, at least, is the what's called colorblind casting. Yeah. You know, your 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 dashing leading man here is played by a guy called. Um, I want to get his name right because it is. I don't know how to say. Uh, his it. name is. <laughs> it's Reggae Jean. It's Reggae Jean is his first name. Uh, what's his surname? Reggae Jean Page. Uh, who's a British, a black British actor who's playing uh, Simon Bassett, otherwise known as the Duke of Hastings, who is your typical kind of um, sort of aloof, slight, slightly sort of disinterested, uh, definitely Jane Austen-esque kind of Mr. Darcy style character, you know, where he's got a very sort of shady, questionable past. No one's quite sure where he's been the last few years. And then he's back on the scene. He's very handsome, very dashing, but has no interest in getting married whatsoever and he happens to turn up at sort of in sort of debutante season i mean just to lay out the very basis of, of the plot it's all centered around grosvenor square yeah. regency area england uh, particularly the uh, the bridgerton family and the oldest daughter of whom is daphne bridgerton who is kind of like our heroine and it's and she has come of age this season she's been presented favorably in front of the queen and she is now she's very groovy by the way <laughs> <coughs> right and now the idea is that she is to be married off in in her first season out as it were <laughs> yeah. um her father has died and so it falls to her oldest brother to do to sort of the honours to sort of play the man of the house and he is re quite reluctant to do that he doesn't really have any interest in settling down he's got a thing going on with a local performer at the, down at the local theatre and 
He's a bit of a cad and a bounder, uh, but he finds himself being forced into a position of sort of authority and, uh, you know, a responsibility that he didn't really want. And the other thing is that he's an old college mate of this young Duke of Hastings who has just shown up. And, and he's a Viscount, which is, which, is, which is lower down the pecking order, isn't it? Sure, but he knows what, what sort of... Uh, he knows firsthand of how bad uh, Hastings' reputation is. Right. So what you have essentially is you've got these two. You've got these two main characters. You've got Daphne, who is looking to be married off, but she she doesn't want to simply be married off. She doesn't like any of the suitors she is being presented in front of. She wants to find true love, of course, and be in control of her own destiny. On the other hand, you have Hastings. Um, who has this kind of, he has no interest in getting married whatsoever, he likes the single life, he likes the freedom, he likes all the rest of it, but he is being presented with every eligible young single woman, and so what the pair do is they uh, they meet and they don't particularly like each other, but there is obviously a sort of prickly spark as far as the audience is concerned, sure. and they strike upon they strike upon an agreement, a secret agreement between the two of them, that they will at least announce their intentions to get married just in order to, for everybody else to leave them alone and so that they are able to sort of navigate the, the season at least, if not society as a whole, uh, with, without being hassled or being pressured to... James, do at this stage, does that immediately tell you, hello, they're going to get together? Oh... Well, there's no doubt about that. Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. It, you know it's just, that's just a matter of when, but that's not why you watch one of these sure. things. I mean, sure, I would be very surprised if these two don't end up and don't sort of along along their way find and respect, respect for each other and a love for one another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's whether the... Um, you know, the rules of society keep them away. Oh, the other thing worth noting is that um, there is an ongoing commentary about everything that is happening by an elusive, um, anonymous uh, journalist no, just known as Lady Whistledown, who sends out a, a sort of newsletter, a high society newsletter every yeah. week, uh, just with all Scandal the latest gossip. No, nobody... <laughs> yes, exactly. No, Nobody knows who she is, and uh, we only... Are aware of her presence through narration, and it's Julie Andrews who does the narration of, of from Lady Whistledown. I'm sure it is going to be revealed that it is actually one of the principal characters that is Lady Whistledown. But in that regard, it's it's um, very similar to the show Gossip Girl, because my understanding, having not seen Gossip Girl, my understanding is that Gossip Girl is essentially the same thing. It's about a blogger who comments on all of this kind of, uh, you know, the, the the sex lives of the rich and famous, if you like, in modern day society, but her real identity is kept secret. Yeah, and, uh, and so and nothing you know, new and so far. The really, is, is there? I mean, we talked last week, and I said I had some Mills and Boone, and I think it's been written that it's a very bland sort of what they used to call kind of a housewives novel or something. There's not an awful lot of anything going on. There's just quite a lot of it. I think it's more. I think yeah. I mean, what is happening is nothing new. You know, if you have ever read a Jane Austen novel or ever watched Downton Abbey or anything like that, you're familiar with every all of these characters and all the plot machinations yeah uh, what sets what sets bridgerton apart as as far as i can see so far is the style is the anachronism is the sort of flashy soapy slickness of the production uh and they're leaning it it's a bit raunchier you know i've only watched the first few episodes but we've seen some bare bums and a lot of topless men already 
Oh, oh, absolutely, absolutely. And also, they've done the thing that you saw in First Night, where they've got a load of modern music and they use, they, you know, pop tunes, but they're all rearranged so that they are, in fact, in the style. A lot of the music that's in it is stuff you will know. But that's just irrelevant. OK. I think Westworld did a lot of that, didn't they, as well? I only watched the first season of Westworld, but every time you walked into the saloon, there on the... Uh, it wasn't a piano, it was... What was it? It was like an electric piano. It was always playing some kind of... Uh, contemporary hit albeit yeah, yeah, yeah. in a plinky plonky style yeah um so yeah i mean it, it's been quite entertaining albeit in a slightly sort of cheesy eye-rolling manner for now i think i will stick with it at least for a little bit longer see how it goes but um but yeah that's bridgerton and everybody seems to love it let's invite you, people to including you I, by I, the sounds I, of it I don't, <laughs> I don't know i don't know i want to use the word that i i thought it was total blah 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 done well Total nonsense done well. Anyway, look, um, Anne, hello. She says on Facebook Live, I noticed last night that Peter Jackson's World War One doco is now on Netflix. We've pencilled it in to watch this weekend. All right, Anne. Well, join us on Facebook yes, Live if is. you've got some ideas because barrels are being scraped, basically. <laughs> uh, yes, um, they shall... Oh, I've forgotten what it's called now. Anne, what's it called? Uh, <laughs> I know exactly the one. I think I have talked about it, actually. They, it's called like they yes, shall not have, be forgotten. Have, you, or so. yeah. They they shall not they, yeah. they shall not grow old. Uh, yeah, it was commissioned um, for the one for the centenary of the end of World War One. Yeah. Uh, back in 2018, uh, by Peter Jackson, he takes loads of existing, so obviously silent World War One footage of um, the men going through basic training and then you know in the trenches and what and on the battlefields. And what he does is he has restored all of that used uh, wetter digital CGI to really clean it up and then colorizes it all and then voices all the silent footage. It gets in loads of voice talent and using um, lip readers yeah. to work out what they're actually saying in the, in the um, footage and then it's all voiced. It's, it's absolutely incredible. I mean, a lot of people occasionally sort of reel when they hear that old black and white footage has been colorized here it's done in an incredibly sort of immo um, immersive and transformative kind of way i believe this was actually screened in 3d as well wow i, I might be wrong but I, I think that was true when it was first screened uh, i have it on blu-ray it's it, it is fantastic of course ev everybody's looking forward to uh, get back peter jackson's next work right Okay, Be sure. Beatles documentary. So, I mean, the point is he's the man of the Oh, yeah. that's right. Yes, yes, yes. A clip of that went out the other day, didn't it? Yes. Um, sounds great. Yeah, he is sort of seems to be sort of spending more of his time looking into documentary work at the moment, and that is all absolutely fine by me. Speaking of which, I don't know if we've got any time to talk about anything else, but Martin Scorsese has a new documentary Ooh. show on Netflix right now called Pretend It's a City, okay. which is a profile of the sort of revered comedian raconteur uh, Fran Leibowitz who is a sort of a, a diehard lifelong New Yorker and it's uh, sort of a, a portrait of her discussing all manner of different sort of topics relating to uh, sort of to life in New York uh, from the arts to the libraries to just uh, the walking the city streets and what have you um, and it's broken out into about sort of six uh, half hour episodes now, people often forget what a good documentarian Martin Scorsese is. You know, he's done some great works. He tends to do profile pieces on sort of celebrities. Like he's done a couple of Bob Dylan ones. He's done a couple of concert films like The Rolling Stones and um, The Band. Uh, 
and then he's he's sort of done stuff on the history of cinema now and so this is another sort of profile of a a person to be honest i wasn't all that familiar with but I've, again i've watched the first couple of episodes of that and that's really well done it's it's sort of montage work from new conversations with her and scorsese to sort of on stage q and a's to tv appearances in the past but it does seem like each episode is is her discussing a particular theme. That's called Pretend It's a City and is well worth having a look on Netflix. All right, then. We're going to go to the news in just a few seconds. Join us on Facebook Live if you'd like to have a chat with James or ask any questions or tell him anything you like. What do you want to do after the news? Or are you off to work that out now? Uh, there are <laughs> there are a couple of films, uh, Synchronic and One Night in Miami, which are both available on streaming uh, this weekend. And then there's an, old, an older TV show from last year that I've caught up with, Ted Lasso. Nice one. Back with James in a few seconds. Thanks very much. Barry, more news at one o'clock. I think we should get into jingle writing, James. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you. That's $1,000. You can't beat lyrics like Barney that. Roll rope, innit? All right, then. All yours. Oh, join us on Facebook. Let's see if anybody's written. Nigel, you've written something that looks very interesting, but I'm not quite sure what you're talking about, so let me. Tell me what you were referring to. Go on, James. Now I'm curious. So much. Okay, there are a couple of films. There are a couple of films that are available on the premium... VOD channels uh, should you be able to get to them so like your iTunes and your Amazon and your uh, your, your Google Play and your, and your YouTubes yep uh, there's a film there's a film called Synchronic which is the new film from Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead uh, who ha- actually in the last week um, have been announced that they have bagged a Marvel TV gig they're doing a show called Moon Knight Night with a K, starring Oscar Isaac. It's a character I'm not particularly familiar with, but that's great. That's big, big, big news for these guys who have been working on very sort of small, uh, independent genre films f- up until this point. And yep. so they've really sort of fallen into my wheelhouse. And so I have, have had the privilege of meeting them on occasion, I should say, and following their careers to date. Synchronic uh, is, is their biggest film up until now. It stars Anthony Mackie and Jamie Dornan who you should know as Falcon in the Marvel movies and um, your man, uh, what's his name? Grey from um, Shades of Grey. And um, essentially they play a pair of paramedics in New Orleans who, uh, you know, work the night shift and they come across a series of sort of deaths and casualties uh, linked to this new designer drug that is on the market called Synchronic uh, because it's kind of genetically altered it's not illegal and so you can buy it in like your head shops and whatever mm. but it's causing it's causing those who take it to kind of really freak out and do strange things uh in you know be left in catatonic states or to sort of die and there's evidence to suggest uh in some of the uh crime scenes they find sort of sort of evidence of different time periods you know there's like an old coin or there's a uh, sort of an old, a weird sword or you know think just odd things or, or the one woman is on her bed on the second story of a hotel room and she has died from uh like a snake bite but it's a snake that hasn't been in this part of the country for like a hundred years or anything like that so something is very odd is going on um now at the same time uh steve who's anthony mackie's character uh learns that he's very sick He's got like a brain tumor and that he only has about sort of six or eight weeks to live. Um, 
simultaneously Dennis, played by Jamie Dorman, his teenage daughter goes missing after having been experimented with this drug. And so Steve takes it upon himself to kind of start looking into his where his mate's daughter has gone uh, and starts experimenting with the drug and discovers, I won't say much more, but that the drug might be able to kind of manipulate time or manipulate where the person who's taken it can you know, appears in time. It's a very sort of strange and very sort of high concept uh, idea. It uh, essentially draws on the idea that sort of time is not linear. Did it make sense to you, James? Because you talked about Tenet, I believe, before, and you said there was so much information in it, and, you know, they attempted to really analyse and, and explain everything mm. to do with these mind-bending bits of science. Well, arguably, um, Synchronic's biggest problem is that it it doesn't explore its premise enough and that the actual sort of plot that it chooses to propel its characters through this very high-concept idea is a little too small and contained. And, you know, you understand these were, up until this point, a very sort of small-scale, low-budget filmmakers, and so probably they were just concentrating on writing something they would be able to afford to make rather than going to, on the scale of something like Tenet. Mm. But the finished product does end up feeling like it could have gone so much further and it could have really sort of pried into uh, so many sort of different areas with this idea. So this idea is essentially if you take the drug, depending on where you are when you take the drug, mm -hmm. um, it will transport you through time. You will be physically in the same place but at a different, but it, it, it transports you through time rather than through space. So it, it takes this idea that uh, time is not linear the way that we think it is. Or but not, walls are, and there could be one there if you get back to 1700. But it's more that all, all time periods exist simultaneously. It's it. just about where you exist in it. The, the um, example they give in the film is, is they, they hold up a record, like an LP, and they say, imagine this is time and this drug is like the needle. So all those time periods exist wow. simultaneously. And it, so it's this really sort of cool idea. And, and um, it's about a guy sort of essentially experimenting with uh, different... And, and it should be pointed out. Anthony Mackie, of course, is African-American. And so he, it's... You know, there are some obviously problematic scenarios when yeah. a black man suddenly shows up in a Louisiana neighborhood 100 years Very ago, briefly. 200 years ago, what have you. Albeit very briefly, I think there's a seven-minute window in which he will appear, he will appear before he is sort of magicked back again. Um, they touch on some of those issues, but again, that's one area in particular where you're like, oh, you know, the fact that they've cast an African American actor in this role is is a deliberate choice, and it means that they were thinking about these all these themes, and yet they only sort of touch the surface of what the potential for all of that was. So you come away going. I, you know, I wish they'd had a hundred million dollars, you know, and I wish they'd really had the opportunity to, to explore this world that they've created, this idea that they've created all the more yeah. as it is. Um, it's a fascinating concept, but the film itself proves somewhat and unsatisfying. That is, but it's that is but, a shame. But it is curious because the concept in yeah. it is fantastic, isn't it? You know, just before I started with you now, I asked uh, Nigel what he was on about. And another idea, people are giving us some very good ideas this afternoon. He's talking about Grant. It's about uh, Ulysses Grant. Um, he says, read his biography. It's quite relevant considering the US at the moment. Three episodes only produced by Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, any, does that ring a bell with you? 
A series called Grant, produced yeah. by Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. Um, I don't think so. Where is this available? I don't know. I, Let's like ask the Oracle. Nigel, where is it available? Sorry, James, carry on, mate. Nigel. <laughs> Nigel. No, no problem. So, so I mean, if people are interested, I would, I would say do look at the work of Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. They've done a couple of other films to date, which I think are ultimately more successful. Slightly, I mean, big ideas, but slightly more modest in their scope. Uh, a film called uh, Spring is particularly good, and uh, a film called The Endless. We will be seeing a lot more of them. As I said, they've just booked a big Marvel TV series. So mm. uh, onwards, onwards and upwards for those guys, even if this one is somewhat unsatisfying in the end. Um, I also want to talk about One Night in Miami. Okay. Uh, which is an interesting film. It's an ad- adaptation of a Ken Powers, Kemp Powers uh, play. He wrote the screenplay as well. Now, Kemp Powers has sort of come into my orbit quite recently because he is the co-director of Pixar's Soul that I was reviewing a couple of weeks ago with, when James Ross was, on, was doing the show, uh, which is the new Pixar movie and is all about sort of jazz and the afterlife and what have you. And um, that was also sort of uh, from a Kemp Power screenplay. This is uh, the directorial debut of Regina King, who's the Oscar-winning actress from um, If Beale Street Could Talk. She won Best Supporting Actress for that like two years ago and is also the star of HBO's recent Watchmen TV series. Okay. Uh, this is a fictional meeting between four very powerful figures of the African-American community. You've got Muhammad Ali, Malcolm X, Sam Cooke, and the American footballer Jim Brown. Mm. Now, this is supposing that they were all to meet up uh, in Miami on the night of... um, uh, Muhammad, oh, he was still Cassius Clay back then. Sure. His uh, defeat of Sonny Liston, I believe it was, in 1964. Um, uh, Cassius Clay is hanging out with Malcolm X, and he invites... Jim Brown and Sam Cooke, who were in town just to watch the fight, back to their hotel room to what they think is going to be a party, but it turns out it's actually a sort of a far more intimate engagement. It's just the four of them, and essentially what the reason for it is that um, Clay wants to announce to his mates that Malcolm X has convinced him to join the the brother. What's it called? The Brotherhood of Islam, mm-hmm. and and become Muhammad Ali, and. Uh, the, it unfolds as you know, as as a play might. You know, it is just a sort of a conversation between these sort of powerful, influential celebrities, if you like, of the African American community at a very sort of pivotal moment in all of their lives and in the uh, in in the country itself. Sure, sure. Um, the performances are pretty good. Uh, I particularly like Kingsley Benadire, who plays Malcolm X. Uh, he, we had seen him in the recent TV adaptation of High Fidelity. He's like the the the, the X in that. Uh, he also played Barack Obama in oh, yeah. that uh, in that mini series, the, the Comey Rule. You know where Jeff Daniels was playing Jim yeah, Comey yeah. and Brendan Gleeson was playing Trump. You liked that uh, he well, plays. You? He, I did. I quite I enjoyed that, and he was very good as Obama. He kind of nailed it without overstating it. And he's, he's very good here as Malcolm X. And Malcolm X is obviously kind of the, the most volatile character in, in this piece. He's the, he's the person of influence. He's already uh, becoming something of a cause celebre, albeit in an antagonistic way. You know, he's the guy that was saying that we, ca- we can't only use peaceful protest in order for the, the black community to, to be recognized in America. And the fact that, and it's, you, you get the impression that Jim Brown and Sam Cooke are both somewhat sceptical of the fact that he's persuading uh, Cassius Clay to take 
this particular route for himself and to to join the Brotherhood of Islam. Um, the other highlight for me is Leslie Odom Jr., who was great in um, Hamilton, of course, and won the uh, the Tony Award, I think, for Best Actor for for Hamilton as uh, Sam Cooke, who in a way is kind of like the the biggest celebrity of that moment. Yeah, you know, he's the, he's the guy who's really got sort of the the, the thriving fan base and the big uh, the big celebrity following, and um, you know. I, I, I really liked sort of the charisma that he brought to the role. I mean, ultimately, I think it never fully, as a film, it never fully escapes its theatrical origins. It does feel very constricted in a way that a, that a movie shouldn't. Um, but at the same time, I think the, the performances, you know, and, and the, obviously the subject matter, you know, the, the, obviously every, the, every topic of conversation comes up. I've got a question for you. You've brought up this thing a few yeah. times of constraints. If only it were bigger, if only they had a million dollars. Are we finding the, um, the, the, the end degree, if you like, the Netflix max, maximum position now that they need, you think it needs to go further? Do you see what I mean? Well, One Night in Miami isn't isn't like a movie made for streaming or anything like that. Mm. You know, this was a movie that was intended to go out in cinemas and what have you. It's just because the cinemas are closed that we're watching it on streaming. Sure. Um, I think I think actually it's more the other way around. It's because of uh, the lockdown and because of COVID and everything like that. We're not seeing big budget blockbusters. Okay. What and so therefore, in order to fill the schedules. Uh, you're seeing all a lot of these smaller ah, films that, you that do have the constraints that you wouldn't nef- necessarily be paying too much attention to. They would be the also-rans of every week, you know? But now they're the only ones still going because the studios don't want to waste uh, Dune or Mission Impossible or, what- or Top Gun or whatever uh, at this time. They'd rather sit on it, the new Bond movie. They'd rather sit on that and wait. But these smaller films, sure, these can go out just as streaming debuts. That's no problem. And these are the films that do have those particular restraints, do have budgetary problems, uh, do have a, you know, when it's a theatrical adaptation, they might not quite overcome it because, again, because they didn't have the budget or the or the time or, or whatever. And so I think, uh, you know, on the one hand, it's great because it means that we are spending more time talking about these films and it looking does. at these that's, films that's true. Than, we, than we would. Um the downside is that we have we now have more time and opportunity to pick at their faults. <laughs> well, it gives so. us something to talk about, doesn't it? Um, Nigel got back to us yes, and said, it, "Yes, it does." Grant, this three episodes thing uh, is on the History Channel. I don't really watch the History Channel because it's usually full of programs featuring the kind of blokes that took over the Capitol building for some bizarre reason. Mm. Yeah, likewise. I don't even know if I have access to the History Channel. However, I shall, um, I shall have a Google, have a snoop around. Well, thanks for some great ideas today from you, uh, you the viewer and listener. Uh, James, what were you talking about today? Give us, a, give us a reminder. Okay, I was talking about One Night in Miami. I was talking about Synchronic. I was also talking about Bridgerton and Pretend It's a City. All right, then. We'll do it next week at the same time. James Marsh, love your work. Take care for now.